This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the Business of Healthcare. Here is your host, Mitch Goldman. Welcome. I'm Mitch Goldman, Wharton Healthcare Management alumnus and a retired partner in the healthcare, healthcare law at the firm of Dwayne Morris. I'm currently the CEO of Mid-Atlantic Dental Partners, a regional dental management company. The Business of Healthcare is live every Tuesday at noon Eastern right here on Sirius XM 111. Coming up on today's show, I have a special guest, and I'm really excited about the opportunity to uh, talk about uh, Stan Berman's, Bergman's excuse me, life as a CEO and chairman of the board of Henry Schein, a Fortune 500 company and the world's largest provider of healthcare products and services to office-based dental, animal health, and medical practitioners. They have more than 2,100 Team Shine members and operations or affiliates in 32 countries. Most importantly, this company has been a Fortune World's most admired company for 16 consecutive years. What I'd like to really do before we get started is just thank you for being here. I really appreciate taking the time. Thanks, uh, Mitch, for being here. When I uh, come onto the campus here at Penn, brings back tremendous memories. About a quarter century ago, I met uh, Dr. Edward B. Schulz, the founder of the Wharton Entrepreneurial Center. I believe it was the very first entrepreneurial center in any academic institution and studied the science of entrepreneurship, a remarkable individual, a great citizen of the city of uh, uh, Philadelphia. He was at uh, 89, he went to law school, was, had an undergraduate degree, had six, Wharton, had six degrees from Penn earned, then at almost uh, I think 70, uh, at, uh, 71 actually, I think he went to the law school and he um, founded the chair of Alternative Dispute Resolution, was an assistant DA, was a mentor to so many people in our industry because he was also the director of uh, the Manufacturers of America, dental manufacturers. And I also had a son that spent seven years here on the campus, so I have great memories walking around here. Now, when you met him, wh- where were you in, in your career? Yes, I, I met him in the uh, late 80s um, at a very interesting time because in the late 80s, Henry Schein had started out uh, or well, the late 70s, Henry Schein had started out providing dental products. So we were really the Amazon before Amazon. We put, and you may remember this much, we put out a catalog. For the first time, anyone had put a ca- out a catalog of dental products, listing all the products and publishing a price. The first time a price was published in the dental business. And if somebody ordered the product, we would have it to the customer within a day or so. That upset the industry and we could just not get products, access to products. So Dr. Schulz, who ran the Dental Manufacturers of America organization, was a big fan of entrepreneurs, and he supported us in working with the manufacturers to have access to the lines. So I got to meet him early 80s and worked with him in the late 80s, and then I was put in a very unique and unusual situation. The founder 
of Henry Schein's son, who was the last CEO of family CEO of the company, passed away. And I was thrust into the position of becoming the CEO and had to become the CEO of Henry Schein. And Dr. Schultz guided me through that period. And so I have extremely fond memories of sitting and talking to him, sitting outside, actually uh, near the Ben Franklin. There's a bench. We used to sit there and uh, and he used to talk to me. And I used to talk to him. And uh, he was a real mentor and, and a confidant. Yes, it's, it's always interesting to talk about mentorship and how important mentorship is in, in everybody's career. Yeah. I, I gather for, for a whole variety of reasons, uh, Ed Schills was a mentor of yours uh, later in your career. Yes, he was. Uh, uh, in uh, Yeah, I was in my 30s already. Uh, I became CEO at 39. And I would say he became my mentor in the, uh, well, really, when I became CEO and for a decade thereafter. Yeah, and, and now we call, talk, call them coaches, yes. right? It's, it's, it's a whole different <laughs> right. business, whole different, business, right, right, a whole right, different right. industry. Um, how did you get to Henry Schein? I mean, I, I read your background, and I understand, you know, you're from South Africa. Right. Uh, how, what, that, what was that journey like? Yes, so uh, I grew up in a city called Port Elizabeth, South Africa. My parents were immigrants from Germany. They arrived in the United States as refu- in, in South Africa as refugees in 1936. Um, and I was born in this small town of Port Elizabeth where my parents had a small store. And that store was in a really multicultural community and was one of the last, actually the second last of these communities to remain during the apartheid period when it was split up. Um, and people of different uh, backgrounds were sent to different locations. So I grew up in this store of my parents where there were people from practically all over Africa and the world and got to gain a terrific understanding of uh, the impact that different people from different cultures can have in, in, in just thinking about ideas and view of the world. Um, from there, I went, of course, to university, and I went to university in Johannesburg uh, at Witts University, which is the university that, in the early 70s, Robert Kennedy came uh, and said, uh, cautioned the South African government that they had to address apartheid. And, of course, 20-plus years later, uh, we saw the end, or 25 years later, the end of apartheid. Uh, and then um, I graduated from college, and uh, in those days you listened to your parents, and my father said you should become an accountant. <laughs> Hated every minute of it. Uh, I wasn't a good accountant, but it gave me unbelievable capabilities. Uh, uh, and I often find myself in situations where I'm sitting with investment bankers, they did these uh, complex MBA programs and maybe some of them PhDs, and they don't understand the footnotes, the oh, notes of a financial statement. So I find myself in a great... I, I, I had a similar experience in a law firm right. where having had the training, right. uh, I would sit with lawyers at the table right. and they couldn't read an income statement or a balance sheet. Correct. But these MBAs were smarter than me and they could <laughs> take logic much further than I could. So I came to the United States, uh, tried an entrepreneurial venture, didn't work out. My wife said to me, uh, what you'll want to do is go back and get your U- U.S. qualifications as a CPA, which I did. I got full reciprocity, went to a firm by the name of BDO, the accounting mm-hmm. firm, sure. spent two years there in accounting, and the uh, consultants uh, w- would come and talk to me. Often the, the management advisory consultants, those days, it's hard to believe today, but one of the big products that was sold was uh, preparing budgets on uh, a service, a computer service. 
So they need an accountant to help them set up these budget systems, and I did that. And then they asked me to join them. And uh, six months later, after I joined the consulting practice, um, the entire senior management of the consulting practice left to set up a business to develop software for Apple computers. They asked me to join, and my wife said to me, you know what? You tried that entrepreneurial thing. Stay in accounting for a little bit longer and consulting. Henry Schein became a client of ours. Our job was to put in the first computer system for Henry Schein. Uh, and two of my colleagues and myself, and by the way, I, I then became the manager of the firm, uh, of the consulting firm. Uh, they were looking for somebody outside, and uh, I said to them, well, why not me? And they said, you're too young. And then one day they came to me and said, you bring in so much business, it's yours. So um, it was my two colleagues and I worked t- together, three of us. And I went in, as consultants do, to see Jay Shine, Henry's uh, late, uh, uh, the late Henry's late uh, son, and I said, "Here is phase three. And he said, "As consultants do." And Jay said, "No, no, phase three. You come join us as the first CFO of the firm." So I said, "Okay." Only if BDO said it was okay. So he went to see BDO. And but you didn't have any real knowledge of dentistry. No, nothing. Right, dentistry, right. not a clue. So uh, the BDO partner said, "Sure," and Jay promised them that BDO would be the auditors for life. He didn't say whose life. They're still the auditors uh, <laughs> 37 years later. But I was smart enough to realize I was not a good accountant. So I asked if there could be another gentleman that would join me, and that's Jim Breslowski, who is the president of Henry Schein. He's been the president for 37 years with me. And I met Jimmy three months after I came to the States 41 years ago. It's th- it's amazing that that team would stay together that long, right? Yeah, I mean, we've had a team that's been together a long time. And and, and it, while this is not where I want to go, go with a whole discussion, but there's got to be some uh, vision that that emerged because I remember dealing with uh, Ed Shills as well because he was a mentor of mine yes. for a short period of time and encouraged us to become entrepreneurs very early in our lives. Um, but there was always this this issue of when we start to look at the vision. Um, I remember thinking of Henry Schein as an American company. Mm-hmm. There was a co- time, obviously, that within the the history of the company that it went, had a vision of something more than just selling in America. When, when did that happen? When did you start to look at a global uh, market and be and right. kind of grow this, well, this I have enterprise? To go one step before that, sure. Um, Jay Shine was an enormous visionary, um, and he saw the opportunity of generic drugs. And he was only in the business really for 10 years because he passed away at a very young age. But he had the notion that every American should have access to pharmaceutical products at a fair price. And so got together with five small generic drug firms and put a group together called the Generic Pharmaceutical Industry Association went to Congress and said, you know what? We want Congress to pass a law that regulates the generic drug industry in the same way it regulates the innovators so no one can say these products are made in bathtubs. That gave birth to a to legislation known as the Hatch-Waxman legislation, mm-hmm. Senator Hatch and Congressman Waxman, which gave birth to the generic drug industry as we know it today, which is well over 90% of all pharmaceutical products and units are generics. And this gave birth to a pharmaceutical company called Henry Sh- uh, called Shine Pharmaceutical, which became, at one point, the largest provider of generic drugs in the company. 
we sold that business in 89, when, uh, 94 actually, but we started the process of selling it in 89 at the time Jay passed away. But Jay had another vision, and that was in 86. In 86 was the first time it was alleged on a 60-minute program that a dentist had contracted AIDS from a patient. And so Henry Schein came out with the first manual on running a sterilized, uh, uh, sepsis-controlled practice, sterilization in the practice. We actually went out with a program called Sterilizers If Your Life Depends On It, and many of the professional associations would not let us put that program on the floor of the dental shows and things like that. Why? Because they were telling us they were hyping uh, the market, so to speak, because it wasn't known in 86 exactly if you'd gone to a dentist in 86, they would have not worn gloves, masks. They didn't know exactly right. what infection was. Just think about it. Yeah. So those two visions were the ability to drive healthcare innovation, providing quality products and good services was there when Jay got there. Jay passed away in 89, and we had a challenge. The challenge was the pharmaceutical business was very, very successful, but the distribution business didn't get the focus because we were so focused on the generics. We sold the generic business, we spun it off, and Henry Schein developed a plan for our mail-order dental business that had a number of components. The first was to introduce practice management software to dentists. We were the first to go to dentists and say to dentists, you know what, there are 900 different software systems out there. You can get one from Henry Schein. We will ensure it has great service and you should use in the practice. And today, of course, eight, nine years later, Practically every dentist was using a system, and today the two systems that we have, Easy Dental and Dentrix, are household names. Uh, absolutely. And, and so that plan also contemplated us entering the medical space to physician offices, the veterinary space to private practice physicians, uh, veterinarians, and to take the business global. Well, I'm Mitch Goldman, and you're listening to The Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. Today's theme is the future of dentistry, and my guest is... Stan Bergman, the chairman of board and CEO of Henry Schein, Inc. Let's just continue that. So we, we got to a point where Henry Schein was now a multidimensional enterprise. It was in, yeah. the, it was in the pharmaceutical business. It was in the software business. It was, it was in all sorts of different parts of the dental business. But you also got into animal, animal health. We focused on everything that relates to the office-based practitioner, with a common theme that wellness and prevention were the best way to provide for low-cost health care and high quality. Because if you keep people out of the hospital, it is much better than treating people in the hospital, obviously. Makes sense. So our whole business, way ahead of health care reform and DRGs, was to talk to dentists, physicians about wellness, and take that same concept into the veterinary office, basically working with entrepreneurs. We have a million customers, that's a million and a half practitioners, dentists, veterinarians, and physicians, and they are running small businesses. And what our business plan is all about is to go to these practitioners and say, you got a great clinical education, but we want to help you understand how to run your business. And that's the business plan of Henry Schein. And so we focus on Providers of health care outside of the hospital. But not necessarily outside of the country. 
that yes of course that came as part of our strategic plan in 1990 where we went into all these different areas and one was to take the idea abroad what happened is in april of uh 1990 a little bit before that we'd start thinking we started thinking about i i went to the big international dental show in stuttgart it's now held in cologne I went out with uh, to visit all the uh, the booths, many of the booths. Everyone, I'd give my card. Somebody would say, Henry Schein, when are you coming to Europe? And they didn't think, you know, we thought about it, maybe Canada or whatever, a little before then, but never to Europe. And suddenly it dawned on me, all these people expect us in Europe. There must be something here. So we test marketed the concept in the Netherlands, and then we went throughout Europe, and we introduced the same idea, a catalog, having the product in stock, and publishing a price. Just replicating what you did here? Yes. Um, Why'd you pick the Netherlands out? It was just a relationship? Because the prices were so oh. high. The prices were ridiculous because there was, in those days, a kind of understanding amongst the dental distributors there that no one would discount. So we went in, uh, I think, 30% below the price, and we had a great margin. Wow. But they tried to stop us from coming in, of course. So we couldn't buy the product locally. We shipped it in every night on the KLM plane which arrived the next morning, and we had it delivered to the dentist by the afternoon. So you didn't need Amazon, and you didn't need FedEx. We were the you original did, Amazon. You did, you did all of that. Yes, yes, wow. yes. And we wow. still are, I believe, the Amazon of dentistry. <laughs> we still provide the best service and the best pricing. Mm -hmm. and, and growth in these markets now, where is your growth? Well, today I, I would say that the fastest-growing market for us is the companion animal. Uh, the number of people uh, buying pets is significant. It's both driven by both the uh, demographics of the uh, uh, the baby boomers right, that right. are now uh, 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 buying pets, and they can afford to take care of their pets because it's the most uh, affluent and uh, the most educated generation ever. So uh, the advancing uh, companion animal program around the world has been interesting, but I would say the production animal business in certain markets has also oh, been good. Not so much in the U.S., but in other markets. Yes, it's, it's so interesting because of my tie to dentistry. I focus on China right. as a dental dental company. Right. And I'm curious about just how much people really know about the other parts of dentistry from the, my perspective. I'm sure, right. the, I'm sure people in the, in the animal business all, all Well, know. in the animal business, in the developed world, they know us very well. I, I would say that uh, in a couple of other markets as well. But the second fastest growing part of the business is, of course, in the medical business because what we are doing now is servicing the new entities that are emerging. What's happening is medical practices are consolidating. Very big group practices are emerging, specialty general practitioners. And then, of course, the big thing that's happening is IDNs, hospitals are buying uh, practices, and they're opening mm -hmm. up practices. And our logistics and our service network is very, very um, extremely compatible with uh, what these uh, new entities are, are, are seeking. So we're doing very well in the medical space. And then that's, that's interesting to me only because when, when we start to hear about industries consolidating, yes. people get nervous about that because there are fewer buyers. For a, for a company your scale, obviously that plays right into your advantage. Yes, because uh, small people can't compete right. with us because we have the scale, the logistics, the supply chain. Uh, it looks simple, but it's not that simple. Yeah, and, 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 and how much, and, and again, not to get into the political side of this, but how much of the craziness around the Affordable Care Act, its repeal and replace, and all the politics of the uncertainty associated with that affects your business. Does it have any effect at all? Yes, there are analysts that talk about it, but at the end of the day, 
healthcare policy people have been talking for 35 years about the notion of prevention and wellness. Keep the patient out of the hospital. Right. Prevent them from getting sick, and if they need a procedure, do it in the surgical center. You take those two things in account, that's our business. Right. And I'm assuming that the whole focus on drug pricing also plays to your advantage, being in the generics as opposed... Yes, I think that that is true. We're experts in generics, and but... Today, um, we are a significant provider of vaccines, and those, a lot of those come from the innovators. But the innovators know that if, you want to get, if they want to get their products used by the practitioner, we can help them. So let's take a little bit of a focus on career questions, because we always get the same right. questions about uh, people with your experience want, want to know a lot of different things. One question I always like to ask is, how much, based on what you're telling me, a big portion of your career was being in the right place at the right time. How much of it was planned, really thought out, and say, I want to be here, and I yeah. want... I would tell you there is no way I plan to get into the dental business <laughs> or the medical or vet. Success is where opportunity meets preparedness. Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared, and uh, there, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're entry level, if you have an education, you don't. All those things are helpful, but success in the end depends on seeing the opportunity and being prepared to go after it. And and, and that is that is that a is that a learned skill? Is that something that's uh, you know right. you just either got it or you don't? Well, I want to be careful because I'm in an academic setting. <laughs> I, I have to say that uh, I don't think it's textbook stuff. Textbook gives you knowledge on marketplaces, on products. But I think you you either have it or you're not, you don't. And at the end of the day, I don't care what business you're in, success is defined by people. It's all about people. And you can get things done with people. I, I, I don't have the highest IQ at Henry Schein. I certainly don't know much about the products. Hmm. But I've been able to work with a phenomenal team of people. Most of them have been working together for 20, 30 years. We have younger people that have been in there. And people crave other people that they can trust. So people want to be with people that they can trust, that are committed, that have passion. And I think uh, success is about putting teams together. And it's really all about teamwork. And success breeds success at some level, right? Once the people see that they, there's a really great culture. Yes. Culture is another piece. We'll get to that later in the segment. But you know that people look at the company and, and they're, it's revered. So you have 16 years, okay, of being a, a revered company by certain awards that have been given. How do you maintain that? It's certainly not easy. So if you want the intellectual answer, which is true, is that values have to remain constant and culture can adapt. But you can only do this adaption stuff in an environment where you have trust. So you have to work on trust. And, you know, people see through others that may not be credible. So if you can ensure that your leaders are credible, they're transparent, they promise, there's no politics, there's no growth at the expense of others, if you can have an environment of open dialogue, of open-door policy, 
this is an environment that people want to live in. We have people that come to us from some of the biggest companies. And I would say we're not the highest payer, uh, but people come to us because of the environment. And sure, people have done well because our management, uh, many of them have, of course, uh, had equity and they've done well in that. But at the end of the day, people want to work in an environment where there are values and where the culture is good. Yeah, see, and, and I, 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 this is something that I, I talk to a lot of different people about. I'm in the business of starting a new company right now. I'm concerned right. about culture. Worked in some big, big places and some small places. When we talk about how you take how many how many employees does Henry Shine have? Twenty one thousand. Twenty two thousand. Twenty two thousand. Yeah. Okay. It was twenty one. 20, it was twenty one. Okay. It's still growing. Yes. Twenty two thousand employees. Okay. Translating that culture. From the top to the, I don't want to say right. the bottom, but the bottom of the pyramid. Right. That's an enormous, I've just, I, I, I admire companies that can do that because I think that's an right. unusual skill. How does that get done? So there's a school in, on, at Penn <laughs> that is named after an individual. I won't mention the name of this person. You may not want it. And I asked him, also a very successful company, how come your company is so successful and has a great culture? He pointed to his feet and he said, you see, I wear rubber soles. I walk around. And I think management, sitting in an office will never get an organization pumped up. You've got to be out in the field. You have to be authentic and you have to make promises and deliver on them. And do you still go out and see? I travel half my time. I go to facilities and the first place I go is walk around before I go into any meeting. And hopefully if I'm setting an example, others will follow. Yeah, see, it, it's really interesting because I think when we talk about management by walking around, p- people lose sight of that yeah. in, 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 the, in the big, bigger enterprises. I tell you, Mitch, when I see it on my schedule in the morning that I'm going to be walking around, I say, oh, not again. <laughs> two minutes into it, I say, I should, why am I only walking around for an hour? I should walk around for two. Yeah, because you learn People so appreciate it. Last night, uh, my colleague Jim Breslowski and I, uh, so partners for 41 years, yeah. had three of our top salespeople in our apartment yesterday, last night in my apartment for dinner. And we, we had uh, a junior, not a junior, but a senior manager who joined the company a few years ago, uh, not so familiar with our culture. And he was at the table. And these three people, the salespeople, been with us for 20 plus years, they opened up with all the things that are a problem in the company today. And this guy's jaw dropped. And then at the end of the evening and the emails that follow today, I would never work at another company. But we have transparency. Anybody can say anything so long as it's not at the expense of someone else. Kill politics. And if people know they're not going to get promoted because of politics, you won't have politics. Yeah, see, it, it's, it's interesting. And I, I think when we talk about this opportunity, um, I want to get back to it. But uh, I'm going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Stan Bergman. You're listening to The Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. You're listening to The Business of Healthcare. Here again is Mitch Goldman. Welcome back. This is The Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. I'm Mitch Goldman. I'm speaking with Stan Bergman, the chairman of the board and CEO of the Henry Schein Company. Stan, let's uh, go back and kind of recap a little bit. Um, this was a journey for you. This was a serious journey, and you have some very strong relationships that have stayed with you for some period of time. 41 years with your current partner, who's the president of the company, um, and you managed to stay in this field for basically the, your whole professional career, but for the run-up mm-hmm. as an accountant. 
Um, you've seen a lot of change. You started to talk about a lot of change. Uh, let's just get a sense of where what's happening now. Let's just focus for the moment on dentistry, okay? Um, I got into this field very, very late. I know you said you don't know much about the products. I know less about dentistry right now. But I'm curious about your vision and the company's vision about where dentistry is going and what are the opportunities and what are the challenges. I mean, I think almost all the time we're focused on opportunity, but I think the challenges are the ones that are really important. So the biggest opportunity for dentistry is making sure that the public, that the funders of dentistry understand that there's a direct correlation between good oral care, good dentistry, and health care, and the health of an individual. So roughly two-thirds of the cost of health care, the 18% of GDP, which is very high, is directly related to the non-communicable diseases, the NCDs, and dentistry is a critical NCD. There are several studies, some conducted here at Penn Dental, that show that if you take care of your teeth, of course there are cosmetic advantages and there are general pain advantages, but it's good for your general well-being from geriatrics, from uh, 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 pediatrics all the way to uh, uh, obstetrics, I mean, sorry, from obstetrics to uh, diabetes to cardiac to pulmonary. All of these areas can be diminished. The challenges can be diminished from good oral care. Okay, so let's stop for a minute. Because you're on something that I feel very, very strongly about, and I'm right. trying to get a, a, a feel for it. I think the audience would be interested in the the research you're talking about. Some of it has to do with what we know about problems in in the mouth. Let's mm-hmm. talk about plaque on the teeth. Okay, there's a direct correlation between plaque on the heart. Yes. Okay. There are other correlations yes. that they're finding. Yes. Okay? What's happening in the industries to kind of bring that, to yeah. integrate that? Well, the, the, the challenge is this, this, the, the good literature, the good articles have only really emerged in the last decade. So we are all as an, a profession, as an industry, the constituents in this, the dental world are all working to get the word out. And so the big challenge and the big opportunity is to get the word out that oral care is not just cosmetic. Yes, it deals with pain, but that's not it. It's about good oral care leading to better health care and from an economic point of view, a better workforce. So we've got to get that word out, and we're working on that as a profession, as an industry. Okay, but, but getting the word out is one piece of that. I, I, I think part, part of what I'm concerned about is what are the barriers to dealing with it? It, it just seems like dentistry is unnaturally siloed yes. from medicine. Yes. And, 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 and I'm not sure, I, look, I understand that some of the history but where is it going in the future? Is it likely that the insurers will embrace this whole idea? I th- I'm very optimistic. Two things. One is the deans of dental schools are now understanding they have to work with the deans of the medical schools. And the de- deans of the medical schools, the nursing schools, are starting to understand that oral care is as important as cardiac and all the other things, all the other NCDs. Mm-hmm. So this is the good news. Um, the... Second area in, in, in that is um, that the, we have these studies. So you put the two together, and the word is getting out. But it's not easy. Uh, I'm concerned 
short term but not long term. Short term, I'm concerned with healthcare reform and what we're going through is just outshadowing and uh, uh, it's like a, uh, a tsunami over oral care. So uh, I'm just worried that it's not going to get the focus today. But I would imagine when things settle down and they will settle down clearly with healthcare reform, etc., in about one or two or three years' time, we will find that the chief dental officers of these insurance carriers will be right at the table again. They're not there right now. Yeah, think so it, I'm optimistic. Yeah, that, that, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I can see that they're not there yet. But I, I look at the dollars and cents, right. and I look at a lot more research than just the current stuff because yeah. there's been a history of research. It yeah. just hasn't been promoted, yeah. and the right people haven't been supporting it. Um, but I, I, it, it's, it's got to be a challenge in, in, the, in the entire industry to get that message out. That's how big... And, Opportunity and challenge. Right. And how, how, how are you dealing with it in, in the company? Does the company have any mission towards doing that kind of integration? Well, Henry Schein's success has been driven by our collaboration among all, amongst all of our constituents. Our suppliers, we want them to view Henry Schein as the best way to bring up their products to market. Our customers, we want them to say, you know what, Henry Schein helps me operate a better practice so I can provide a better dental, uh, dentistry. Our uh, 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 team, I've discussed that. Our investors, we're very clear with our investors. We commit to a solid rate of return, improvement each year, turning that return into cash. But they're one of five constituents. But it's the fifth constituency that's the secret source. Henry Schein is committed to doing well by doing good. Enlightened self-interest, Benjamin Franklin, the notion of helping society. And for us, it's access to oral care medical care and of course on the vet side as well so we work through a number of public private partnerships and one of the key public private partner initiatives is to get the word out that oral care is important so we work with organized dentistry we work with industry we work with schools and we i think play a key role in working with these constituencies and trying to get this word out. And I think we're doing okay. But it's an uphill battle, and but we will succeed, I think, over time. Great. Um, while you were going talking about the, the, the culture and, 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 and doing, what was the expression you used? Doing, doing do well, well by, by doing, doing good. good and enlightened self-interest, that was conceived right here in Philadelphia over 200 years ago by Ben Franklin. So, so let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, a big part of what people know about Henry Schein is their business. What they may or may not know, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about, is the philanthropic side of yes. the company and, and the culture. Yes. Uh, how did that develop? That's, that's just such an important part of what Shine's all about. Well, I, I think it was in the culture from the day Henry opened the door. But it was about uh, 15 or 18 years ago that we said, you know what, we're doing all this work. Let's industrialize it, if you will. Let's form a foundation, and let's go out and really work with our constituents on advancing these goals, which are essentially access to care. So we, we've done a number of significant, uh, undertaken a number of significant initiatives in advancing access to care, but at the same time aligning with the profession. So, for example... A key initiative that we've undertaken is the Give Kids a Smile program with uh, the ADA, where on a given weekend, each February, something like 
uh, 18,000 dentists and another 15,000 or so uh, 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 allied professionals, hygienists, and, uh, assistants, go out and provide dental care to something like 300,000 children. So we're doing well, but we're also getting the Henry Schein brand out. So uh, uh, one of the exciting parts of Henry Schein is this commitment to being a company with a purpose. I believe it's critical. It's been critical in our culture. It gives us much more of a mission than purely making money and in turn has helped us create shareholder value. And so the, and so the employees participate in this? Yes. Throughout the whole company? I yes, believe. in many of these initiatives. We have a, a back-to-school program. We have a holiday cheers program. Because our businesses, are, uh, we have 400-something locations. They're generally in middle-class locations, but in those locations there are people that don't have the right uh, tools with kids to take to school. They don't have computers. They don't have uh, 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 the, the right clothing. They don't have the right uh, uh, um, uh, pencils or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we work to provide the, these kids. The whole company works on this. Uh, thousands of kids in these centers or uh, shelters around the country uh, and around the world, in fact, are given packs to go to school, and we do the same thing at uh, the ho- holiday time in December. Wow. It's, it, and so it's got to be that's that's got to be a substantial corporate commitment. I mean, given what you're talking about, yes. it's, it's like a, it's a full time business. Almost. Well, we have full time people involved, right. but that the team are heavily engaged. So you asked me about dentistry. So to me, the big opportunity is, of course, uh, uh, to get the word out that oral care is important, and that oral care can reduce the cost of NCDs, non-communicable diseases, plus improve quality of life, and therefore have more people work, uh, healthier people yeah. work. I, 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 I appreciate the focus. I'm I'm concerned about where, uh, how much how the industry is responding to that. Your competitors, for example, right? Uh, others are they, is there is there an, an emerging consensus among the yes, people yes. in we, the field? Yes, yes. Firstly, academia, including Penn Dental, is doing work in this area, but we have a number of coalitions uh, with the organized dentistry. And w- with the industry, industry uh, throughout industry associations are very much engaged in this. Uh, we've had a number of programs, public service announcements, uh, and we have uh, several campaigns in this area that have been quite successful and are ongoing. Good. Can you tell me a little bit about succession? And I'm not looking for an answer as to who's going to be the next person, but assuming that you, you're in this business for some long period of time, and we all know that good leadership involves Succession planning. Right. What are the qualities of a person that you would look for to take the next big step with well, the I, Henry Schein? I, 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 all of our leaders would expect them to subscribe to our uh, values and our culture, okay. which puts people at number one. But I think uh, that's a given. But I also think a good leader needs to have imagination. Um, you know, I think Einstein said that uh, logic will take you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. You have to have imagination. You have to have determination. And at, at the end of the day, it's about aligning the team behind a vision. And a vision can never be created by one person. It has to be created by a team. The trick is to get consensus on a vision and on the strategy and the tactics and get them quick. And a leader that can do that is a highly valued leader. So, 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 but somebody coming in 
let me put it to you, let me let me say it this way: assuming it, whether it's a man or a woman, and whether it's from inside the company or outside the company, the expectation would be that that skill set of combining the, the 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 knowledge plus the imagination and the determination would really have value. Uh, and that easy to find, hard to find? Very hard to develop these managers, but we have them. And uh, I, I would submit to you that the tenure of our management uh, is a huge asset. We have, um, I try to, prov- to give these awards out of people that have been in the company 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And I do these uh, every week, every second week. And uh, it goes on for an hour at a time, the number of people. I mean, we say a few words about each, but there's a lot of uh, longevity in the company, and people understand our DNA. See, and it's interesting to me, because if you were to look at some of the Silicon Valley companies yeah. or the or the track records that people have, uh, I know of one person who stayed at a company for seven years, had an enormous track record, started at age 23, and he moved right. up to the company, the well-known company, age 30. Company got sold... He went to look for a job, and everybody he interviewed with in Silicon Valley was saying, "Why'd you stay so long?" Yeah, you know, it's it, a challenge. Is, is that? Uh, I, I think uh, here's, I think one of the, the challenges we have in business today. First of all, let me be upfront, and I say the millennials will will be the greatest generation ever. Well, um, I'm not hearing that from a lot of other employers, no, but that's I, interesting. I think they will be. Um, they're interested in getting to the bottom line quickly. Uh, they want to make sure that they're contributing very quickly. And um, sometimes, I myself know this, I'm impatient because uh, I, I can't handle impatience, so we say I get impatient with them. But um, I think they want to drive quickly to, to, to show they can do things. And you can't have somebody sit in a room waiting. They will do what they're supposed to do, and they'll come to you and ask you for something more. You can't say, wait until I'm going to give you something, they'll be gone. They want to get on with the job very quickly, and we have to adapt to that. And I think what is important for this generation uh, is values. They want to not only make money, but they want to have something with purpose, and they want to know that they are contributing to the betterment of of society. And so do do you have a strategy in terms of how you're going to attract those people to a company that would look a little bit more establishment? And and I think that's that's not a negative. That's just It's a challenge, again. I'm not saying we went out to cultivate this, but there was a good article in uh, Fortune magazine about two old world companies that had moved into the new world, Henry Schein and GE. It was very nice to be compared to GE. But we try every day to make sure that the uh, uh, younger people understand that we are a company that wants to reinvent ourselves on a regular basis. Uh, Edward Schultz, his concept was entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, a large company, large company. How do you ensure that you're constantly reinventing. And we tell young people, there's a company where you can live out your dreams, where you can reinvent, but um, you, you just mentioned something, somebody that's uh, very often viewed as a millennial, having been with a company for two years, is viewed as something, as something wrong. I, I had a wonderful young woman who was really contributing significantly in our business development department. She hands in a resignation. We were about to promote her. I said, why? She says, well, I've been here five and a half years, and my friends think there's something wrong with me. Where are you going? I'm going to a new company in uh, Minnesota. I said, what are you going to do there? And they do something. I said, they're not 
don't have the runway we have. She says, I gotta go. I said, You'll come back. She says, Me, yeah, I think I'll come back one day, but I go, go gotta go look. Yeah, no, I I've hear, I hear these stories all the time. Yeah. And part part of what where I hear it from is I hear it from my own children. Yeah. Okay. And um they're all saying the same thing. You know, they have to they have to move on. Explore. It's the Lion King story. Yeah. Where the guy has to go the little lion has to go look. But but both of them have had good careers and both of them have, have followed much more along the lines of what you've identified, found places where they could live within yeah. the space. Good. And they, yeah. they, by the way, young people should be restless. And they should tell. Uh, I, 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 I welcome young people telling me uh, what I'm doing wrong and that my office isn't cool. But I'm sorry, I do wear a tie <laughs> and I do sit at a desk. <laughs> Yeah, but we, they don't have to. Right. I mean, I, I used to get criticized when I would work with startup companies. I was the suit. Yeah. That was, no. not, a good, that was not a good label. Yes. That was a really bad that, label. That's correct. The suit. Right. Okay, so I stopped. And then right. when I came back to the law firm, they said you were underdressed. You didn't follow the dress code. <laughs> so I had to keep clothes in both places <laughs> yeah. to make sure I could live in both worlds. Yes. Well, let, let's continue a little bit about some of the other things that I know you do. Tell us a little bit about the Edward Schill's Entrepreneurial Fund. So we set up... Just before Ed passed away, we worked with Ed on setting up this uh, Edward B. Schultz Entrepreneurial Fund. And the whole idea was to identify entrepreneurs in dentistry that are making a difference in their community. So we uh, uh, provide this award. We identify people that are really social entrepreneurs and making a difference in uh, their community. And, but they don't have to be dentists. No, they don't have to be dentists. But, but they, they, they have to be something in the dental <clears throat> world. Right. Or it could be a dentist that's doing something in the medical world, or it's uh, 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 it's just maybe business people um, you know, that may be uh, uh, providing great Medicaid coverage, high-quality work. Uh, tonight, today we're honoring uh, a woman who was uh, very significant in organized dentistry, spent a huge amount of time in organized dentistry. And uh, so... It is people that are making a difference in an entrepreneurial way, helping others, either dentists or in dentistry. Dentistry, fabulous. And how long has this been going on? It's, I think it's the 11th year. 11th year, wow. Yeah. Right. So you have an annual award, is it? Every an year we get together in Penn, in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. usually at the Union Club because that was Penn Ed's club, but this year we're doing it here at the dental school. And we have a reception with his family, and we talk about Ed, uh, Ed Schultz, the social entrepreneur, the uh, educator, the uh, uh, mentor. He was, a, um, until he passed away, passed away, he had a car accident, sadly, at, uh, at 89, driving from a pen lecture. He was really a, a somebody that spent a huge amount of time with young people. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm Mitch Goldman, and you're listening to The Business of Healthcare on Sirius XM 111. Today, I'm talking with a good friend of mine who I'm learning a lot more about as we speak, Stan Bergman, who's the chairman of the board and the CEO of Henry Schein, Inc. Um, we're, gonna, we're coming down to the close of the show in, in, in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to, there were a couple of things I just wanted to make sure I got to, to talk about. I was very curious to see uh, a label uh, about this company as being an ethical culture. Does that mean something to you that you could describe? Because I didn't... Well, I don't think we stand out. I think uh, uh, um, 
today to succeed in business, you have to be ethical. So there's Ethosphere, with rate, which go out and rate companies. And I think what they do is try to find companies that uh, have attributes of compliance with the law, treat their people well, um, make sure that they're involved in society, uh, the betterment of society, and they take those companies and they give a label to it so that hopefully others will follow. And Ethosphere does just that, and uh, I think we, we like the notion that we're setting an example. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think those are all good good spaces to be in. As, 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 I've really tried to understand that in the regulatory environment in which this your company lives. Yes. I mean, it's not light on government regulation from the distribution right. side, from the production side, from the mm-hmm. from the incentive side. Um, Anything special that you do that's that's unique that that makes you stand out? Well, I wouldn't say we are unique, but I think we have rigid compliance. We're heavily leg- regulated. For example, we ship uh, control drugs to probably more locations than uh, maybe some of the bigger wholesalers because we don't sell a lot, but every dentist can buy a control drug if they're licensed. Right. So they might buy, buy a bottle of something every five years, <laughs> but we, they still have to be licensed. Right. So we have all of that, and we have all the licenses as they relate to uh, imaging, radi- radioactive stuff. Um, right. Then, uh, of course, we manufacture implants, which is highly regulated. So um, we are quite regulated, and I would say that uh, we, we focus on this deeply. It goes into our culture. Jay Shine was an attorney and he would drum into our heads that uh, compliance is important. It's sometimes very hard to keep up with the laws because they change so much. In fact, I think we're over-regulated in some areas and uh, it puts American companies at a disadvantage. You do feel that way? The cost of Sarbanes-Oxley is very high. Um, I'm not saying it's bad, but I also have a little bit of a feeling that you can't regulate honesty you know, even with all the stuff, uh, you have to have good oversight. We have a very good in, internal audit function. We have a very good regulatory function, and these areas are very important. Well, they are important, and I, it, when we talk about overregulation and recognizing we can have a whole whole show yes. on overregulation, yeah. um, I'm just curious about uh, looking at what we're seeing right now. What do you think Henry Schein looks like ten years from now? Well, Henry Schein. Uh, if you're asking for the big opportunity for Henry Schein, of course, there is the notion of advancing oral care as a right. part of the continuum of care. But the opportunity for us is to help our customers deal with the massive amount of changes that they're first faced with. Regulation, but also perhaps what some call the fourth industrial revolution. The notion that we are right now in an industrial revolution is the first, of course, when people left the farms, the second when you had uh, Ford with his production, and the third somewhere around 1970s when the PC and the cell phone emerged and they were connected in the ether, what we now know as the cloud. But the fourth is this whole world of intraoperability. Our customers uh, are challenged. They're being shown all sorts of technology. They don't know what to do with it. But... We have feel that we have a role, just like we brought infection control to the to the dentist. We brought the computer, we brought the internet to our customers. We feel that our opportunity lies in helping our customers utilize the intraoperable technology that's available in their practices. Very very exciting, and uh, this has 
all sorts of ramifications. Give me some of those ramifications. Well, the the simple one is um, the movement from wet X-ray to digital X-ray, and the tying in of that X-ray, that image. Now it's not called X-ray anymore; it's digital X-ray uh, imaging. imaging. Tying that into the practice management software, so Dennis can go to the, the computer. Uh, which was at one time, not so long ago, just a billing machine, and now is a clinical workstation. Take the image, put it in to the electronic medical record, and access the electronic medical record chair side where they're talking to you. On the other side of the house, if you will, there's the digitalization of prosthetics. You can now take a scan. You don't need an impression material anymore. It's more accurate. I love that, by the way. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Most, I would say most dentists don't use it yet, but they will. Uh, I had the opportunity to see a cone beam used. Yes. And I decided that if I had a cone beam right. and I could show a three-dimensional yes. three uh, impression of right. the jaw, and they could then put it on a 3D printer and print right. out what would look like an impression, but it was, more, yes. it was actually more accurate, that all it took was my thumb to push the yes. implant in. And I even a lawyer on account could do <laughs> dentistry now. Uh, we don't, we don't no, we're not, go, we're right. not going that but far. But the digitalization of dentistry is phenomenal. It gives you the chance to take, a, of prosthetics, a scan. Mm -hmm. You can send the scan to the lab. We have the biggest network for moving this data to the lab. In the lab, the crown of the, mill, uh, the, crown of the bridge can be milled digitally mm -hmm. with phenomenal materials. Well, I'm going to have to cut us off a little bit. We're, we're getting to the end of the, end of the hour. I want to thank you very much for the time. Unfortunately, we're running out, so thank you very much for joining the show today. The show will be repeated throughout the week. You can read more about our shows and hosts on the SiriusXM website, SiriusXM.com slash Business Radio. That's it for today. You've been listening to the Business of Healthcare on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here on Sirius XM 111, I'm Mitch Goldman, and thanks for listening. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.